world, 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 absolute worldy, world, 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 absolute worldy, world, world. So what happened there was I said, why don't you sing a song to begin this episode? And then you sang a song that I didn't recognise. <laughs> I don't know what the, the song doesn't have words. But what is it? It's, they do it for Connor Washington and Connor Gallagher. Con, 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 con. Connor, Connor Washington. Washington. Um, it's from like a club track a couple of years ago. Heard it on a stag do. They were here, here, Connor Gallagher was playing for Charlton. That's one of the oldest things you've ever said. It's, it's a... <laughs> a club track. A club track. It's a club pop track from the charts. Um, Wigan beat uh, another team 7-0. Uh, and Wigan have it as their goal celebration music. So it got imprinted on my head watching this game last season. Because every like 10 minutes... Hi, Kyle. You asked me to do it. This is what happens when you get me to do it. <laughs> One minute in. Hello, how are you, Kyle? Good. And hello, listener. How are you? Welcome back to the Absolute Worldy Football Podcast in the last episode before Christmas. Last episode of the season? No, Joel. Fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> End of ep- season five? Season six. Right, good. We'll be back with season seven in the new year. Seventh heaven. <laughs> How are you, Carl Ross? Well, uh, actually, I'm not that good um, because I'm quite angry this week for a few reasons. And we're going to cover three of them, three being few, uh, in the beginning of this episode. We said we would in the disclaimer at the beginning of the last one we put out. A a pretty zany episode and not particularly uh, time relevant, whereas this one is going to be about what's happening right now. Yes, um, well, but by the time you listen to this, maybe things would have changed somewhat since we recorded it. But uh, football and its problems, they do uh, continue, don't they? Just in new ways, in myriad new ways. Who, let's... Okay, we've got three things to cover off in the beginning of this episode before we have a nice bit of Christmas cheer with a guest. Yes, if you get through me and Kyle complaining about the state of football and also, by extension, the state of this country and this world, uh, we will reward you with some fun, fun silliness nearer the end of the episode. A special guest, I should say. Uh, Kyle's favourite guest? That's all the other worldy guests' chatbots there going off. But uh, yes, if you get through this with us, listener... We will reward you for it. However, before we do the fun, silly, special guest stuff, Kyle, why don't you kick us off with number one of your three things you're angry about? Okay, let's start number one. This is uh, a BBC iPlayer documentary, Anton Ferdinand, Football Racism and Me. Uh, It didn't make me angry because it exists. It made me angry because of the effect of one famous, infamous moment of uh, football racism that happened a decade ago and how that has affected the victim for the ensuing decade. Yes, listener, if you haven't watched the documentary, we strongly suggest you go on the iPlayer and check it out. We've both watched it. Uh, It both touched both of us just in... I found it, from beginning to end, stunningly moving and just horrifically sad how how backwards our culture is, really. Um, from the start, Anton Ferdinand, who is the, the the victim in this narrative, felt like he'd spent the last decade on the back foot. Listener, you might be aware, Anton Ferdinand, a famous Ferdinand football name. His brother is Rio Ferdinand, former England captain. And to be fair to Anton, 
his brother is a far more successful footballer than he is and about six or seven years older. Uh, their cousin Les is also an, an older generation famous footballer, England international. Um, Anton is, you know, the least talented of his family in terms of football, but that shouldn't, doesn't make a difference in this case. But why I bring up his brother Rio is Rio is still a, a, a nationally famous pundit. He's had his own documentary series about losing his wife, depression, and sort of exploring themes of damaged masculinity, which is also amazing on BBC. And you feel like someone has reached out to Anton in the sort of 10th anniversary of, of the incident with John Terry on the pitch against QPR, Anton Ferdinand's team at the time, and said, it's been 10 years, Anton, do you want to talk about this? And do you want to make a documentary? And he said, yes. But you can see, in comparison to Rio, confident, uh, shoulders upright, um, happy to talk about any topic, verbose. Anton has none of that. No. He's seemingly psychologically stimmied by what happened to him and it's so sad to watch someone before we before we dive too 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 hard into what's happened to him and how we feel about it and what it means about football do you very quickly want to just give our listener a a rundown of the incident itself on the pitch john terry england's captain at the time chelsea defender anton ferdinand defender of qpr uh defending a set piece they are grappling with each other anton ferdinand admittedly is spouting nasty things about john terry to his face but doesn't expect to get called a black C-word in response. Here's what I didn't know for sure, and I knew this story inside out because I'm a Chelsea fan. I didn't know that Anton Ferdinand didn't hear it at the time. It wasn't until he got into the box where his family were after the game, which QPR won, that he was over the moon having beaten Chelsea to find all his family staring at him with horror and upset in their eyes. He didn't know. He It was overheard by, caught by Terry's uh, lip reading, basically. Everyone saw it on the telly watching the game, but no one on the pitch said anything at the time. And so the furry sort of happened for Anton afterwards. So John Terry came up to him in the tunnel. So before he went to see his family, John Terry approached Anton in the tunnel saying, we're fine, mate. We're cool. Yeah, we're cool. Anton thought he was referring to the sort of jostling and the sort of fact that Anton knew he'd been rude about Terry. And said, yeah, we're fine, we're fine. It's cool. And then... The proverbial hit the fan. I mean, uh, this led to a court case. It led to an FA investigation. The court case was, I didn't know this, was brought because a member of the public who had seen the lip reading where it was pretty obvious what John Terry had said had made a criminal complaint of uh, uh, aggravated racism. Uh, uh, The court case failed because Terry's defence was strong enough that they couldn't prove without a shadow of a doubt that it wasn't true, that he was just parroting back what he thought he'd already heard. And then it led to an FA charge, which was successful. They stripped Terry of the captaincy. The then manager of England, the Italian Fabio Capello, then resigned because he felt they'd made the wrong decision. Uh, And what it led to after that was Anton Ferdinand's career going downwards and John Terry's career kind of, other than not being captain of England anymore, being fairly bulletproof. There's many things it made me think of, actually, watching this. Um, It made me think of a video of some Chelsea fans on a metro in Paris that came out a few years later, where the Chelsea fans were playing Paris Saint-Germain in Paris in the uh, European Champions League. And they were on their way to the game and they were on the Metro and a a, a black Parisian uh, person tries to climb on board the the Metro and the Chelsea fans push him off. And he tries to get on again and the Chelsea fans push him off again. And if you listen and if you know football and you know chance, what you can hear, and it wasn't picked up on by many mainstream outlets at the time, but the Chelsea fans were singing, our captain's racist, he's racist, he's racist, and that's the way we like it. 
Uh, and then we're racist, we're racist, we're racist, and that's the way we like it. Um, and and that, to me, considering just how, as you say, how clearly the last decade this has weighed heavily on Anton Ferdinand being racially abused on the pitch and then what happened afterwards, um, it also resonated for me in terms of how that incident as a microcosm can really be expanded out to football in general uh, and to how people feel about football in general and to how fans feel uh and to how the game still hasn't eradicated it. I accept that. It is difficult for me being a Chelsea fan pretty much since I was about 10 years old. My brothers are Chelsea fans. It's difficult to accept, like you just did, equating fans with the actions of the the team captain. Chelsea fans have a bad reputation for racism, and deservedly so. There's been... I mean, not I can't say deservedly so for every single fan, but there have been incidences that are undeniable even as recently as last year, two years ago. So that link is there. But John Terry does not stand for the fans. He stands for himself. He won the court case based on him, as Joel said, him stating, I only said those words because I thought that he had called me one. And he won a a court case based on that argument, based on the fact they couldn't then prove that he hadn't said those words in disbelief rather than malice, which... And to this day, John Terry won't speak about it. In the documentary, Anton Ferdinand, after a decade, texts him or emails him saying, look, mate, it's been a long time. There's been a, it's been on my mind all this time. My mother has died in the interim. And I don't think I've been doing right by her memory if I don't talk this out with you. Mm. Will you speak with me? And he didn't respond. Well, when you're white, as we both are, and you're accused of racism, um, it's very difficult to own your... Uh, shit for want of a better word and say you know what I hold my hands up I did it Um, and actually all that Anton Ferdinand seems to want is some growth Hmm. you know you see him in the documentary going to West Ham where he was a youth team player and came up through the ranks and he talks to the young kids and he's like if this happens to you you report it Um, you see him go to a therapist and talk about the anger that he felt but it's a very impotent anger and you just feel like what he wants is growth going forwards Um, And I think that leads us neatly on, as we talk about growth going forwards, as they showed images of John Terry, amongst others, wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts as uh, the Premier League uh, and rest of football chose to take the knee and support the Black Lives Matter movement this summer. And that leads us on to where we are now. Everyone's talking about the football. Do you want to talk So, since the beginning of the summer since football came back during the during lockdown one players referees officials management have been taking a knee in support of black lives matter and to make the statement there is no room for racism both in society and in football now as of a few weeks ago for us uh or wait sorry as of uh, only a week ago for us but probably longer by the time you listen to this fans are back in the stadiums Kyle there are 2000 fans allowed back in if you happen to find yourself in tier 2 of lockdown in this country for our international listener uh the UK is currently uh, have, has very confusing and very radically different lockdown rules but in some places 2000 fans are allowed back at the football what has happened Kyle uh, so, uh, central London, most areas are uh, allowed 1,000 or 2,000 fans back in at the Den, Millwall's home stadium, uh, who are a championship club, second rung of the ladder. Again, against Derby County, the players 
happy to have the fans back in the stadium, I'd imagine, for the first time. Someone to play for, someone to get behind you. It must have been a great feeling to think, thank God some of them are back. They take the knee and they are roundly booed by their home fans. And I think this is the point, actually. This wasn't a handful of people. From the footage that everyone has seen, everyone has listened to, I encourage our listeners to go and check it out. Just uh, Millwall Derby, fans boo, take the knee, just have a Google. Uh, it's a it's a large proportion of the fans booing. It's not just one or two bad apples we're talking about here. When you've only got 2,000 as opposed to 20,000, uh, and it's still that loud, that's a lot of people. I think it tells you everything you well everything we've been saying for the last few years about, you know, everyone's always on about a vocal minority with football who are ruining it for the rest of us, but... As you say, 2,000 people uh, and uh, for it to be as loud as it was is very discouraging. So what uh, one thing that I don't think was actually uh, reported as, as widely as it should have been because, and rightly so, of the general condemnation of what happened, I was trying to think why. Other than, it's, it's very simplistic to say they're racist. I think they are racist. I think if you're not anti-racist, you cannot really argue that you're anything but racist. To paraphrase Dave... Uh, Santander, the rapper, um, the least racist is still racist. Fine. But so I'm thinking, well, they don't think they're racist in the main. Otherwise, I don't think that that many people would do it. I don't think people, I think some people would feel like, like oh, I don't want to be tarred with this brush. I'm not going to do it. But to feel like uh, you've got that much support and that much of a group mentality around it, they must think, oh, no, this is fine. So why are they doing it? I'll come into the the Millwall Fans Association Supporters Club in a moment. But I was watching Colin Kazim Richards play for Derby. Now, he doesn't take the knee. He stands with a, a fist raised uh, a la Black Panther movement. And I'm thinking, hmm. And he faced the Millwall fans. Obviously, there are no away fans, by the way, at the moment. Only home fans. So he's facing where all these fans are sitting when actually I think everyone else is facing inwards towards the centre circle. So he... I'm not. I'm not saying that he was wrong to do that. I think he's right to express his uh, support for the the Black Lives Matter movement, no room for racism, in whatever way he says fits. He's fit. Doesn't have to take a knee. He can raise a fist. That's fine. I feel like some of the vitriol was aimed at him, but that's not what the supporters club came out and said. They said they were booing uh, an overtly political agenda of the Black Lives Matter movement. And that they were well within their rights to do so because that uh, it's a extremist political agenda they don't agree with. What do you think about that, Joel? So, uh, you know, since the summer, if you go to the right parts of the internet, you can see, um, I mean, we're veering potentially off football here, but you can see people dismissing Black Lives Matter as a movement, as a political organisation that is actually a Marxist organisation that is funded by shady characters and is trying to take down society, that they want to defund all police forces and all this stuff. Um, uh, Ash Sarkar, who is a much wiser person than I am, uh, if you don't know who she is, she is a journalist who works for Navarra Media uh, and uh, often uh, the left-wing commentator brought on by most political shows. She also happens to be a Spurs fan, so I, I, I like her. Um, uh, Ash Sarkar said, this is something that has happened ever since uh, civil rights activism and anti-racist activism became a thing in the West when black voices and brown voices are raised in any way they are dubbed Marxists, there's a Red Scare phenomena, there's a kind of McCarthyist approach to it where you try and root out the evil left-wingers who are trying to take things down uh, and trying to change society as a way of distracting from the fundamental point 
which is the main pillar of any BLM-associated movement, black people face uh, a harder time in society than white people, which is essentially just an unarguable point. Uh, and so I sort of think there's a duplicitousness to that statement by Mil- the Millwall Fan Supporters Group. Um, I think there's uh, a need... You have to want to believe that a, mi- that a vocal minority or even majority of those 2,000 fans have considered the idea that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist political group attempting to change society from the left. They they did actually specifically mention the defacing of Winston Churchill Monument on the, in that sort of week weekend of the largest gatherings of the BLM march back in June, July, as a reason to boo. And I, I think it's a willful ignorance of a wider movement. And I think that ignorance comes from hatred. I can't decide whether there's a, 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 whether people know exactly what they're doing when they say that, um, or whether they really do believe that, that there are aspects of Black Lives Matter which are anti-democratic, anti-society, to the point where it's not just can we change white supremacy, but actually can we change society to a to a different model. I I, I actually find it very hard to believe that beyond the idea that maybe they're not patriotic, so therefore they're defacing Winston Churchill's statue, that there really is any sense within the people who are booing people taking the knee against racism that they're angry about the political agenda of those individuals. There's lots, I mean, cue Twitter storm of people, like obviously there's the support for this booing and the people who are like-minded, but also you've got a lot of jokes equating uh, anti-Marxism to racism now, because it's a... It's such a weak argument. Should we jump forward to the response? Yeah, uh, but very, very quickly. I mean, you talk about the Twitter storm. People like Nigel Farage are then coming out and saying, you know, that, uh, that Millwall fans are in, within their rights to boo a political organisation. The, the, the main thing that I'd like to say, that I don't know how much this has been covered in the media, I've not read enough, but like, BLM in its essence, as an organisation, that there are there is a, a Black Lives Matter UK organisation, but they are not affiliated with the players taking the knee. The players, as a decision, post-George Floyd being murdered and the uh, conversation that began in the summer, made a decision to take the knee against all forms of racism. They haven't said, we support Black Lives Matter UK. We haven't, they haven't said, we support Black Lives Matter, the organisation in America. They've, they've supported the slogan, Black Lives Matter. And if you don't believe that Black Lives Matter, as far as I'm concerned, you're a racist. And if you're booing the concept that Black Lives Matter, you are essentially saying they don't. And... Almost in sort of foresight that this might become an argument, the Premier League came up with their own slogan, no room for racism. So therefore they are, rightly or wrongly, depending on what you think, I think actually it's not necessary, but they have just, they decided, probably seeing these sort of problems coming, to depoliticise the, the taking of the knee and association from, you know, specifically BLM by now calling it the Premier League branded no room for racism. And but before you move on to the to the uh, to the response, uh, I would just say, you know, to our listeners listening to two uh, white men talking about this, I uh, I think if you cannot, as a white person, understand on a level of having lo- of looking at the experience of black people in society and in this context with black footballers who are constantly facing racist, racial abuse from the terraces, we've all heard it. Anyone who's been to football knows it happens, knows it's real. They hear it all the time, and anyone who tells you otherwise is lying so if two white people here talking about this cannot 
identify what they see as racism within their fellow white people, then there is real, real work to be done. This, as far as I'm concerned, maybe I've spoken my way around this. I, I don't see anything other than it being a racist gesture to boo players taking the knee uh, as an anti-racist uh, statement. Before we do move on to what happened at the, the next home game, which is only three days later uh, at the Den, Millwall's home ground, the club were very, very slow to respond. And the manager in the post-game press conference referred to BLM as a political movement. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to... So what you're getting the sense there of as a, as a Millwall fan is that you're not being discouraged necessarily. I, it reminded me a lot of the way that Trump behaves. I'm not I'm not equating Gary Rowett, I'm not equating you with Trump, but you could have been a lot fucking smarter in what you decided to say. And what you're doing is eking out a sense to the rest of us that actually maybe someone people within the club didn't have a problem with that booing. I know for a fact from other journalists other I'm not a journalist, from journalist research, uh, that um some members of the staff, the coaching staff within Mill did approach the club and ask them why they were so slow to respond. But clearly that hasn't been a united effort. I mean, uh, just on the uh, just uh, well, we we really should talk about what happened in the next game as it is fascinating, but there was booing at West Ham and Colchester as well. It wasn't an isolated incident. And whether it's a culture within those clubs that they've not said anything about it, or whether it's I mean, at West Ham and Culture Street, clearly wasn't as loud and as in your face as it was at Millwall, but it happened. Um, and you and I, way back when, I think in between a record of an episode of this, we were discussing going back to football. And I said, I do not want to know what I will do if I'm at a game and the players take the knee and I hear anything from anyone around me against that. Because it's... Because of this very easy way that they can argue, oh, I'm not racist, I'm not racist, I'm not racist, I'm not saying this because I'm racist, I just don't agree with the politics of it. And, and if somebody, if I heard somebody booing players taking the knee next to me, next to me at football, I, I don't know what I would do. Well, I think that takes us nicely on. What happened for us only just a couple of nights ago, I still don't think has been reported in a way that I think is fair or true of the situation that might be i'm not reading deeply enough but i shouldn't have to i read sky sports bbc every single day and i should say what happened so a few things happened uh millwall changed the sponsor on their shirt from husky chocolate a lovely uh protein milkshake drink <laughs> which is delicious by the way mm, husky chocolate to kick it out the fa um associated anti-racism organization that's a big step and a good step an easy step, but they took it. They also spoke to the team they were playing in advance uh, in this game, QPR, another London club. Uh, and Joel will tell you why it's interesting that QPR were the team that they were playing in just a minute. And they came up with a new initiative, Joel. It was called Inequality. They, their players did that thing that they sometimes do uh, to show solidarity. Rather than standing in two lines of two separate teams, they stood with their arms all mixed up arms over each other's shoulders and held this new banner that said inequality with the in scratched through so it said equality this is before the game that then went to stand in the uh, in the semicircle for the the taking the knee no millwall players took the knee and a few qpr players take took the knee and throughout the home millwall fans so i think it's 2000 of them applauded so they applauded the new inequality banner they applauded uh, the non-taking the knee, and to be fair, the taking of the knee 
for the few people that did. Here's what I'm saying about all this. I'm saying the fans won. And I don't think that is being reported anywhere. I think in coming up with a new slogan, in reappropriating what the fans uh, wanted to receive and would accept, they have given in. And I think that is incredibly dangerous and weak. And I think it's a failure of Millwall Football Club and a calculated one. They they want to stop the bad PR for their club, rightly so. Their club's had a bad rap, worse than Chelsea's even, for racism for decades, and rightly so in some regards. But the club themselves are furious because they've been doing a lot in, in their local community for a long time to combat that. They think, right, we don't want to get booing. That looks awful. How can we stop the booing? Let's reappropriate the meaning of what other people are taking the knee for, and I think it's disgusting. Dave, the, I think that you've hit the nail on the head with that sentence there. Dave thought, how can we stop the booing? Not... How can we reaffirm the point the players make when they take the knee? And if that's your goal, then frankly, football doesn't need you and society doesn't need you. If your goal is, how can we appease something that the majority of like of right-minded people see as racist, the majority of people in both the US and the UK support Black Lives Matter, if the majority of people are calling something racist and you appease the people who are behaving racist, you are no better than them. It, 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 the condemnation that came out on Saturday at 3.15 when this happened has not been matched by this action. This seems to have appeased the whole of the football journalistic world. And I think, how? How how can you not see that this is a an attempt to for an easy fix and an easy win? Well, contrastingly, the chairman of Colchester wrote to supporters saying, we will continue to take the knee. If you continue to boo, we do not want you there. So I will refund your season ticket. That's the response. Yeah. That's the only that's the only response. Millwall as a club have basically devalued the Black Lives Matter movement. And yes, they're not in the Premier League, so they don't have this no room for racism thing. I should have cleared that up earlier. That's not an initiative for them and they don't have but whatever. Like you've created a new movement to suit your the way that your fans want to view racism. That that doesn't work. Agreed. I mean, the, the, you pointed out how interesting it was that they were playing QPR. So QPR are one of the two championship clubs that haven't been taking the knee before games, the other being Coventry City. Um, QPR's managing director, Les Ferdinand, who we mentioned in our first segment as the cousin of Anton Ferdinand, said that the continuing action of taking the knee was somehow diluting the message, that, that in, in consistently doing it before every single game, what you're essentially doing is, is sort of normalising the fact that we have to talk about racism. Now, again, two white men talking on a podcast. Les Ferdinand is black. He knows a lot more about this than we do. Uh, we have to respect that. Um, but it was therefore fascinating uh, as an outsider to then see QPR players taking the knee a few days after something which most people would deem to have been a racist act. So it's uh, the question is, about and I think this is one that we can't answer. Uh, it's not our place to, nor would anyone wish us to. But being reactive or proactive, saying to fans who boo taking the knee, "You don't need to come to football anymore. We'll refund your season ticket," is one thing. Not taking the knee before every game and only doing it when you've heard something racist feels to me quite reactive uh, and doesn't feel front foot. But that is only my perspective as a white person. Well, during the game, QPR took the lead. And I think this is quite telling and maybe a good way to finish on this point. Elias Chair scored a great goal. Uh, Elias Chair and Brighter say Samuel went over to the edge of the pitch where the Millwall fans were and they both took the knee, facing them, fists raised. And I think that says more and has 
says more about what happened yesterday or two days ago. That says the players knew exactly what was going on. And this is a they play for a club that themselves have had their own problematic attitude towards BLM. And for reasons that might be right, might be wrong. You know, who, as you said, who are we to judge all angles of this? I think the players know exactly what's going on because they're the ones that experience the racism from the terraces every single game. And we will talk about some racism, not from the terraces, just after this. Kickball with football, yeah. Okay, we're back with the third sort of linked topic in a mad, mad week. And this has never been seen before in football. It is the actions of a, a member of the officiating team to make a member of the coaching team of a certain team feel like he has been slurred against racially. It was, it's madness. It's the Champions League. It's Paris Saint-Germain versus Istanbul Basaksehir. here. It's a big game. It's nil-nil. It's ticking along nicely. Something said on the sidelines, or there's a behaviour of a coach for the Istanbul uh, team, that the fourth official wants to bring to the attention of the referee. He does so by calling him the black one. This man, Pierre Weibo, an ex-Cameroonian international, uh, a coach for Istanbul, but actually here, is the only only black member of the coaching team. He takes umbrage to this, rightly so. Um, the fourth official stands up for himself under the sort of uh, auspices that he's using the Romanian word for black. From uh, This is allegedly, we've not been able to hear exactly what the man said himself, uh, but this caused a huge effect for the whole game. He defends himself quite stoutly. The referee sends off coach Weibo for his anger, essentially. Um, you can do that in football if you didn't know, listener. The members of the coaching team can also be sent off. It means they have to step away from the game. The sending off of Weibo causes a huge, huge scene. The game is paused. And why this became so immediately a big story, uh, I was watching the Champions League coverage at the time, was a, a player for Istanbul Basikta here, Demba Bar, who is, a, I think, Parisian-born. Um, he's played in England for several teams. A black man. He decides to continue this conversation with the fourth official, who's still trying to play part in officiating the game. And again, this man started to defend himself in English. They're, all, they're both talking in English. And Demba Bar says along the lines of, it's not the fact that you use the word in your own language for black, it's the fact that you singled out our coach by his race. You didn't, you don't, he even said, if it was a white man, you wouldn't say the white one. This goes on and on. Demba Bar calls his own teammates off the pitch, who's a substitute. Again, very rarely seen. Very, very rarely seen. Calls his players off the pitch. To, and they don't really know what's going on. They, they all discuss it. The PSG players come along to see what's going on. Uh, PSG who have a lot more uh, non-white footballers uh, than Istanbul do. I'd say two of the highest profile uh, non-white footballers in the world. Neymar and Mbappe. And you can see Neymar and Mbappe. Between them cost over £450 million. And that's not important. But they are very high status within the game. They're talking to Denver Bar. And they then bring their players off the pitch. The game is suspended. They try to get the game going again by promising that the fourth official won't have play a part, but they're actually lying because they want him to be the VAR official. The, the, neither team accepts that, and so the game is now being played for us, what is tonight. You'll know the result of this yes, game. Yes, by the time this goes out, you'll know whether or not the, the, the rest of this game was played with no controversy whatsoever. Uh, it is something I've never heard of. I've never heard of a game being abandoned 15 minutes or so in and then starting again... 15 minutes or so in the following day with a new set of officials that is if you want if you want to sort of look at football as a microcosm of, of how it 
of society. Something racist has happened. And the solution is, well, we'll just do it again, but it will change the officials. That Something deeper has to change. You cannot have people working within the game, which, which is disproportionately uh, uh, non-white in terms of players, because... For what, for you know, for reasons that are not the time and place on this podcast to go into, there are more black footballers than there are black people who go watch football. Uh, that's probably a lot to do with uh, financial and racial inequality in this country and beyond. But you cannot have people refereeing a match who will out, who will point somebody out through their racial identity. It's it just shows that they are already looking at difference, and it just shows that they are already racist. And the fact that UEFA. Uh, are in this situation now. Quite rightly, I hope everyone watches this and I hope that official never works again or at the very least is suspended until such time as he completes not just a conscious raising awareness course but some kind of community service where he understands the impacts of his words. I would say the second. I think if you start saying they can never do it again, I don't think that's necessarily fair in this case. And here's why I think that internationally speaking, and this was an international game, a Turkish football team playing a French football team in Paris. This is going to have to cause an, uh, FIFA, the international footballing body anyway for the European body, to rewrite the rules of what officials can say. I think I am right. I think it's okay to say that the whole world is not in the same place when it comes to dealing and tackling racism. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. I'm coming at this from a very privileged white Western liberal perspective where it's blindingly obvious to me that if you're trying to point out a coach for having been the instigator of problems, you don't say the black one. But at the same time, if you don't come from the perspective that this is wrong... If, if the players have to walk off the pitch, rather than the referee saying to the fourth official, right, you've done something bad here, get off. If you don't come to the perspective this is wrong and you leave it up to the players, then we're constantly in this round and round and round we go circle. Yes, I agree with you. Different countries, the world over, different cultures, the world over have different levels of understanding and levels of engagement with racism. That sounds incredibly patronising and I'm fully aware of it. But frankly, in a week where we've just done half an hour of, of material on our little podcast about racism, it feels appropriate. And in this year of all years, mm. it feels appropriate to be angry enough to say at this point, unless somebody comes down and says, this is wrong, this cannot happen. Uh, yes, I think, think you can say to people, right, you either need to walk away from the game or change completely. I just, I think... If you're, if you try and put yourself in the position of that coach, and it's very unlikely that it'll happen again, but imagine if you will that you turn up at that uh, at another game and that referee is there, you you are going to feel going all the way back to the beginning, as I was going to say, like Anton Ferdinand, who was racially abused on a football pitch. 10 years ago and has still clearly if you watch that documentary holding the weight of that pain and it's something that you and I will never be able to understand uh, and have no right to try and understand but can at least stand up and say this is wrong this should change and if football doesn't do that it's no better than the rest of society but it is also one of the areas of society with the most investment most commercial investment most widespread appeal it's the national it's the international most popular sport in the world 
if football can't do it, then what hope does society have? Um, and I would say this, Jordan Henderson is featured in the Anton Ferdinand documentary about a de- uh, equally about a decade ago, I'd say it is now, maybe a bit shorter. The Liverpool footballer at the time, Luis Suarez, uh, racially abused the Manchester United footballer, Patrice Evra. Uh, and it's an interesting one in terms of this story, because he said, I was using a term that uh, where I'm from, Uruguay, is a normal thing to say to a black person. That's a, that's a whole argument for Uruguay to have with itself. Um, and Suarez was then suspended. And Liverpool, as a club, wore shirts in support of Suarez. Team Suarez. Yes, Team Suarez. Not in support of the Manchester United player who had been racially abused. Whether or not you agree that Suarez was using the language of his country, as far as he was concerned, he had been racially abused. It happened again this week with Edison Cavani. He tweeted the same word, I think. There you go. Uh, but then Jordan Henderson is on the Anton Ferdinand documentary and is essentially saying, I was wrong. It's taken me a long time to say that. It's taken me a long time to get to this position. But we were wrong. We stood up for the wrong person. Uh, And if football as a culture and football as a society doesn't come round to the perspective of saying, we were wrong more, this is wrong, we must make this choice, then the fans at Millwall, the referee in that Paris-Istanbul game, uh, and the people who support John Terry and supported John Terry through that entire uh, fiasco with Anton Ferdinand will win eventually because unless we all come together and say this is wrong and it's not just a few bad apples it is the culture of the game mimicking the culture of our society then racism wins and that's why you and I are so angry this week I'd like to close on John Terry if you don't mind please because I think for myself for my brothers for a lot of Chelsea fans that would be all it would take for him to reverse the trajectory he's created for himself and his legacy. He thinks his legacy is England captain, Champions League winner. His legacy in this country, your legacy, John, will be as a racist that was too cowardly to admit that he made a mistake. Do something about it. You're trying to get, you're trying to be a coach. I don't know why I'm still talking to him. I'll talk to you, Joe. He's not listening. He might be. John, listen, you're trying to be a coach. You want to be a, you want to be a top level manager you don't deserve the opportunity right now. You shouldn't be wearing a Black Lives Matter top uh, as a coach of Aston Villa on the sidelines. You shouldn't be wearing it. Because clearly you don't think that Black Lives Matter. You don't think Anton's uh, rights matter when you called him what you did in the football pitch. Apologise publicly. Do what it takes to make that happen. I don't care about any legal wranglings and you shouldn't either. Reverse your shameful behaviour, please. Uh, what it comes back down to is white people need to own their racism. Yeah, And that feels like a very useful place to stop uh, this section of our Christmas special. <laughs> You're going to say, uh, that feels like a very useful place to get Reese on the line. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with Reese after this. Do, 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 do. I want to kick you in the face. Welcome back, listener. I don't know what you're thinking. What is the best antidote to two white men doing an in-depth, serious dive into racism in football? And you'd be right, listener. It's three white men not doing that. Welcome back to the podcast, the hardest working actor in show business, Reese Owen. Thank you. Thank you for that lovely compliment. Uh, is, it, is it true? I'm not sure. Reese, do, do you ever stop working? Uh, I, I try not to. I mean, this year there was obviously a long time where no one was working and that was horrid. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm back now performing uh, at Legoland. 
at Legoland. So we're so happy you could take some time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. You know, we need some cheering up, frankly. And we thought, who better to talk to than Christmas cheer himself, Reese Owen? Tell us more about Legoland. Well, I've, it's it's funny you've, you've called, actually, because I'm actually playing Father Christmas himself. Are you um, really? <laughs> yes, I, I, uh, I'm in a show called The Holiday Harbour Lights. Uh, and I have to I have to row a boat and climb a lighthouse and uh, I come up to the top of the lighthouse and I'm dressed as Father Christmas and I wave at all the kiddies. And then on another day, I'm just a dancing centre and I just do a five minute dance routine. Um, it's it's just a lovely, lovely show. Just a dancing centre. <laughs> That's yeah, the title of this episode. <laughs> but the, the, the rest of the cast, they're all in their sort of late teens early 20s so my nickname for this whole contract has become granddad um and they all just call me granddad so i play on this part now in the dressing room where i just tell them all off constantly for being naughty Um, oh how ironic is that since you came from another show a west end show that has a character called granddad well yes when i put my little beard on i look like uncle albert uh from only fools and horses um yeah, it's it's lovely, and yes, it is. It's lovely to be performing at the end of this. I was going to swear very horribly then. Um, this year, this horrible year. So, Reese, I hope you take this as a compliment, but you are far too young and svelte to be Santa Claus. How are you getting around this? Are you wearing a fat suit? No, weirdly, we're not. My dad's first thing was like, "Very proud of you. Well done." Um, but why have you? Why are you not fat? Um, <laughs> And I guess maybe you know it's been a lean it's been a lean year for everyone, especially Father Christmas. So you know maybe he shed some pounds. Reese is collapsing in fits of giggles, but that's fine. It's the, it's the time of year for it. He's behind you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, Reese, we're so glad you could talk to us today, and we want to talk about it's that time of year normally where it's Panto season. Um, have you done Panto? I have. I have. Yes. Oh no, you haven't. Oh, yes, I have. Who have you played? Um, I've been Flesh Creep in Jack and the Beanstalk, who's the baddie. Uh, I've been Kings the Jester in Sleeping Beauty. I was Dick in an adult panto called Dick. Um, uh, Is that it? I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. The hardest working man in show business. (laughs) So we're glad we could spend some time with you at this time of year. Now, we want to talk about family shows, but obviously this is a football podcast marginally uh and we want to talk about shows that involve football can we talk about that absolutely i mean there are some absolute horror shows um that seem to link with sports um one of which and i i I don't know if either of you saw this or have heard anything from it but there is actually a musical there was a musical of bend it like beckham um famous kira knightley film it was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, it opened at the Phoenix Theatre in uh, 2015, and it was just awful. You could, you could, you could, I could see what they were trying to do. They were trying to do a sort of, you know, um, amalgamation of like, you know, Bollywood stuff and football, and it just, it just didn't. It just, it just, it just wasn't executed very well. The one thing that I remember what. Watching it, I possibly watched it on a preview, but there's a bit. Do you remember Kyle where they sort of pretended to kick the football and it sort of went into the auditorium? Oh yeah, I do bit? remember that. Yeah, yeah. 
the night I went to see it, something went wrong. And it just was this awful, awkward moment of just this ball just floating in the middle of the stage. Once all the actors just sort of stared at it and waited for it to be sort of slowly and awkwardly pulled off stage by some stagehand. And I just remember thinking, this, this is not good. This is not a good show. And the music was great. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was slammed. It was slammed. I was read some of the reviews this morning and it just, yeah. And they had, they had four pro footballers in it just just to sort of do all the skills. I remember watching them being like, why are you doing this? So not a big fan of Benjamin right, Beckham, won, the music. It, it won the Critics Circle Theatre Award, which just boggles my mind. God, I've, I've really gone to town with uh, Benjamin Beckham, haven't I? It's okay. We did ask you for your opinion. Yeah, yeah. So well, when that comes back, as it inevitably will, if it won all those awards, uh, your tip to the listener is uh, give it a miss. Miss it like Beckham wouldn't. Ooh. Oh, very good. Yes. Yeah. Not not for me. Not for me. Um, however, Rocky the musical. Did you know that that was a thing? No. No. Rocky the musical cost $20 million. Uh, not about football, but um, we've sort of gone into sort of sport themed musicals. Uh, Rocky the musical uh, was off, off in Broadway in 2014. Um Huge, huge, massive um, boxing ring on the stage that was pushed into the uh, stalls. One of the funniest song names that I've seen on the uh, cast recording is just called My Nose Ain't Broken. Um, (laughs) And then a few songs later, My Nose Ain't Broken reprise. So clearly such a good song, they have to do it twice. Still ain't broken. (laughs) My nose still ain't broken. Um, it's apparently got Eye of the Tiger in it. Um, yeah, I, I remember listening to the cast recording a while ago. But um, is that something you do as a as a as a? Well, I mean, obviously this is about seasonal sporting musicals, but just in general, do you listen to a lot of cast recordings? Oh hell yeah! Top oh, yeah, like- top three that maybe someone could Spotify original West End or Broadway recordings that you would be like, these are the three. If you don't listen to musicals, listener who's listening to a football podcast, this will change your mind. Uh, plug the show, Only Fools and Horses, original cast recording. Uh, that's excellent. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, Broadway cast recording. And Heathers. No, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, the musical. That's very good fun. Lots of good fun on the Beetlejuice musical cast recording. Yeah, so that's, 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 that's my top three. I mean, Kyle, I know, sort of likes musical theatre. Joel, where do you where do you stand on, on musicals? Oh, I, I love it. I do love musicals. I think most of my problem with musicals lies in the fact that I know I could never be in one, and that just makes me jealous. So I go... Um, look, it's a similar thing to that I feel at football, really. I go and I look at people who are amazing doing an incredible thing, and I'm like, I'll never be able to do that. And, and instead of just enjoying the experience, I, I end up sitting in my own personal uh, misery. Well, try that, Joel, uh, and double down the difficulty by being on a cruise ship like I was on my on my honeymoon. And sometimes they're dancing, they're acting, they're singing, and they're also having to wobble because the ship is moving. Now that is professionalism. And I saw Riso in in We Will Rock You, and to just do a musical show on a steady ground, that's one thing. But on a moving boat, that's another feat entirely. Reese, I will never forget, and I still salute you to this day for, for that incredible performance. Thank you. Thank, were you on a particularly rocky cruise? 
Uh, yes, there was a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it was quite a, quite a tumultuous end to our contract. And yeah, you were on the last five day, weren't you? It was five days, your cruise. Yes, and there was a hurricane and we couldn't get off at Bermuda and people were very bemused. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work, because surely they were like, well, this, there's a hurricane, we can't get off in Bermuda. We're not confused about it. No, people it. were absolutely livid, Joel. They were like trying to get their money back. They were, it was like, from who? Who on the Did Reese have their money? Who on the ship had their money for them to get their money back? Reese, I'm not lying, am I? It was an absolute debacle. Yeah, because we, we, did we get off at Bermuda, but it was just really horrible weather? Yes. Yes, that's right. I remember now. Yeah, people, because it was only a five day and the only place we went on a five day cruise was Bermuda. And it was just horrible, horrible weather. So people just went nuts. Like, like it was the cruise's fault that the weather was bad. But they're like, yeah, we've, we've, we've picked this week to really, really ruin your holiday. Um, sorry about that, Kyle. It was still one of the absolute highlights of my honeymoon, that cruise. Oh dear. Listener, if you haven't done a cruise before, do a cruise. I never thought I would be doing a cruise in my life. I'll do many now. It is a riot of You're fun. Constantly cruising. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but to go back, yeah, no, I, I do love musicals. I, I, I feel like football, actually, I'm sure, I know you've got more uh, sporting musicals to tell us about quickly, but like, just in general, don't you think football as, an, as a concept as, as the life of a footballer, like underdog, like maybe coming from a sort of not so great background, slightly like Billy Elliot in a way, like is like absolutely right for there to be an excellent football musical, no? Like there's just so many, like, and there's already singing involved because of chants at match days. Like it's, it writes itself in some ways. Well, I've got one for you, Joel. Yeah, they do exist. One in particular, a 70s, 80s classic, Zigga Zagger. Zigga Zagger. I've been in Zigga Zagger, a youth production, Tring Penley Manor. Um, and uh, there's a classic line where the footballer, this sort of stylish guy with like slick hair, he has a, he's like, he wants to move away from the club he's at. And he says, he's just sang a song and then he's doing a little aside to the audience. And he says, Vincent's transfers listed. Vincent's transfers listed. Yeah, the actor that uh, was doing it in my show got the line wrong and said it wrong every single night. It should have been Vincent's transfer listed. Yeah. But he said Vincent's transfers listed. Because where's his transfer listed? Like, you're either on the transfer list. You can't be, your transfer's not listed. It's not like in the, you don't open the paper and see, oh, let's see the list of footballers are up for transfer. Must, but I think there must be, between clubs, a transfer list. I think it's a, I don't think it exists. Reese. What, Zigazagger? No, Zigazagger, I believe. <laughs> you stopped listening, didn't you? <laughs> no, I, just, I just wondered where the, where the question was coming from. No, no, I mean, like, do you think that clubs, like, do you think there's like a list that clubs add their players to to go on the transfer list? Or do you think it's just like a, a saying that we've all accepted? Yeah, there must be. I think it comes from like an original publication of a transfer list. Yeah. That was maybe put out by the EFL. EFL, if you're listening... Could you please put us out of our misery? Where did transfer list come from? Was it an actual publication of a thing? Should I look up now quickly and see if I can find anything? Yeah, sure. I can cut it to make it sound like you're really smart. <laughs> go did... before you say before you say this. Go. Oh, I remember. Hold on. I, um. Uh. I think I vaguely remember uh, where transfer lists come from. Um. I think if a footballer's agent will send out info to clubs and their scouts of the players' availability. And the managers and scouts often compile their own spreadsheets or lists to keep track of this too. 
Did that sound like I wasn't reading it from the internet? Yeah, that sounded very convincing. So, right, okay, cool. So if, so if anything, that line from Zigazaga now makes even less sense. Clubs would fax one another with lists of players who were listed or who were going off contract and free to speak to. That definitely sounds like you're reading it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, I didn't expect this half of the podcast, which was just inserted for merriment, to include uh, a little football factoid there. Reese, have you well, been in Zigazaga? Um, weirdly, the first ever thing I did outside of school at Woking Youth Theatre when I was a child was Zigazaga. I remember walking in for one rehearsal, being so shy. I was about 12, maybe 11, being so shy, not wanting to make any friends that I left halfway through. Called My mum was like, come and pick me up. Um, and I didn't do that show. But then I went on and did lots of shows for Woking Youth Theatre. But just that day, I was just like, nope, 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 nope. Everyone knows everyone else, and I don't know anybody, so I'm going home. And now, this this young boy grew to be one of the most successful West End musical theatre performers of his era. Reese Owen. Wow, such accolades. Thank and you also, so one of the most social... I can't imagine you ever being like, oh, I don't want to talk to these people. You love people. I do love people, but there, I do have that side to me, which is just very, very shy. Uh, the, the first day of this Legoland job, I barely said a word to anyone because they were all sort of, like I said, sort of late teens, early 20s and all these proper sort of dancers. And I was this sort of 33-year-old bald man that was just trying to keep up with these these young whippersnappers. Yeah, plus you had your hearing aid in and your cane and ready for your granddad role. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Facebook and MSN. <laughs> Bebo. Reese, is there any other... Uh, sort of football or sport theme musicals you want to talk about before we go today, before we head off for Christmas time? Well, I've, I've, I've actually got a little game for you. Um, oh. Called uh, That Can't Be a Musical. Now, this, again, isn't really all sports. There's some sports I've put in here, um, but I want you to just, as quickly as you can, both of you at the same time, tell me if you think these have been adapted into musicals and or plays. Ready to play? That can't be a musical slash play. I'll put a jingle in here. Or maybe like Christmas, like Sleigh Bells jingle. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Has Silence of the Lambs been adapted into a musical? Yes. No, absolutely not. Inappropriate. Joel is correct. It has been turned into a musical. It's called Silence the Musical. <laughs> terrible, terrible name for a musical, really. Silence the Musical! Um, right. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption. Has that been turned into a musical or play? Yes, 100% yes. Very long one, I'd imagine. I'm saying no. It's been turned into a play. Congratulations, Kai. It's one all. It's one all. Uh, the film Once, has that been turned into a stage musical? Yes. Definitely. I, I, I mean, it looks really good. I think it's uh, it's got Damien Rice songs in it, right? I don't think it's Damien Rice. It's all no. original stuff, I believe. But that means it has. It's 2-2. Two, two, two. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Big, the film Big, has that been turned into a musical? Yes, it's got uh, the guy from Strictly in it who was also in the boy band The Wanted. Well, I mean, I was going to say no, but obviously Larry said that, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yes, there is there is a Big the musical. It Just to be clear, Reese, so far every single one of these has either been a musical or a <laughs> Are we putting any red herrings? <laughs> no. Yes. Don't worry, they're coming. Um, Home Alone, has that been turned into a film, uh, a musical or a play? No, too complicated. Yes. There hasn't. There hasn't been a musical or play about Home Alone. But there should be. 
I mean, can you yeah, imagine she... the dance moves that choreographers could come up with with the hands on the face? Um, yeah. Donald, Donald Trump cameo. Is that Home Alone yeah. 2? Um, Home Alone 2 would be a good Christmas musical. I don't think you could include that, could you? Is that, unless you've got a, well, it probably doesn't. That's 100 years old. Probably out of copyright now, Joel. <laughs> also, the first one would be a good Christmas musical because it's also set at Christmas, Kyle. Yeah, but sorry, let's move on. <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park. Okay, okay, okay. There has been some sort of like physical comedy improvisation thing called Jurassic Park, but they had to change the name because they got sued. So I'm going to say no. I think there's been more than one of those at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And frankly, if one of them wasn't a musical, I'm furious because that song lends itself to writing lyrics. Like, there's a dinosaur, a bloody dinosaur. I mean, I think uh, Nick Mohammed in character as, as whatever his name is, Swallow. Mr. Swallow, is that his name? Yeah, yes. He does He does a song version of it. Anyway, I'm saying yes. I mean, to in sort of big budget world, no, there has not been any stage uh, proper adaptation of Jurassic Park. Um, final one, Chariots of Fire. I actually know the answer to this because this I, is brilliant because I auditioned for it. <laughs> also, he got through a couple of rounds. It was a massive deal at the time. We, were, we just started living together and we were trying to get work as actors. And Joel had Chariots of Fire, the musical. We're like, you're not going to get that, Joel. You can't run very fast. And they gave him a callback. Was it? Was it a musical though? It wasn't really a musical, no. But it was. Just... There was a lot of singing. There was a lot of singing in it. But uh, no, yeah, no, I, yeah, no. So I, the answer is. Yeah, probably. Yeah, there definitely was. There definitely was. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you didn't get Joe. I'd have loved to have seen you in that. Thanks, mate. I'd have loved to be in it. <laughs> Just think, if you'd got that part, Joel, would we be doing this podcast now? Probably not. So, if anything, for the best. Um, uh, I think Carl won. Um, I'm, I'm going to call that a draw. I think, I think theatre wins that one. <laughs> theatre won. Football nil, especially in this half of the podcast. We are a team, a team of men. We play football and we're gonna win the cup that everybody covered. So it's big, shiny and it's made of gold. Speaking of theatre winning, Reese, um, tell us. Obviously, we've sort of said that you've we've plugged it fairly consistently. Only Fools and Horses is a musical. Um, will you be coming back? Because obviously, it was one of the most successful shows of the West End last couple of years. Uh, and I still need to see you in it. So will I get that chance? Hopefully, yes. Um, with apparently the new thing, we were meant to open in November, but obviously with everything that was happening, um, it's been pushed back. So we're hoping uh, middle of April, book your tickets because I think it will be a very popular musical to go and see when, when everything opens again. I think you know, obviously with travel restrictions, people won't be rushing to go and see, you know, things like Phantom and Les Mis, I don't think, but come and have a good old laugh um, at Only Fools and Horses, the musical. The Theatre Royal Haymarket, and in the meantime, before you're sort of dusting down the old three-wheel Reliant Robin. Um, and yeah, and also people don't want to wait till April to get a good, a good healthy dose of Reese in their lives. What, do you, what else you got coming up? Other than Legoland, obviously, Grandad. Thank you. Uh, Legoland is open until the 4th of January. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's a lovely show, but it's sort of, it's 15 minutes long. We do it five times a day. Um, but if you like me in your ears, which I'm sure you do after this podcast... Um, I'm currently working on my own podcast called Welcome News, uh, which is what we all need after 2020. And it's me and a good friend of mine, Ollie Britton, talking about funny news stories from days gone by, from this year, 
Uh, we play sort of similar sort of games, uh, quizzes and stuff. And then I'm also working on my own radio show um, called Good Vibes with Reese Owen, uh, which will be on more music radio uh, in the new year as well. So um, that was Good Vibes with Reese Owen and Welcome News. That's a podcast yes. we want to look out for. Yes, yes. Well, uh, Welcome News is out, but we haven't put it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts yet. We're just sort of trialing it. But we've, we've had, you know, 100 downloads already. Um, so we're just we're just having baby steps, little baby steps. We're not we're not in the realms of absolute worldy just yet. No way. Nobody is, uh, thankfully. Uh, and now we'll break from speaking to Reese to get our sponsor. No, we don't have a sponsor. <laughs> Reese, it's been wonderful to speak to you. Um, if you could send us a picture of you in your Santa suit that we could use on social, that would just be fantastic. I don't see why not. Great. Uh, and quickly, guys, in the, the musical that we're all going to write together now about football, what's the lead character called? Tommy Socket. And the title, Kyle? Boxing Day Schedule. And the, uh, the song that requires a reprise is, is, is called uh, Socket's Pocket. <laughs> Socket's Pocket's listed. Right, we're going to go write that now. Uh, it'll be out in time for Christmas. <laughs> Why not? Um, uh, thank you very much, Reese Owen. Happy Christmas to you. A pleasure as always. Merry Christmas. And thank you very much, listener. This is the last episode of the year, and we will be seeing you again in, and I'm seeing Kyle's face full now, season seven. Wow. Seven years of the absolute worldie. No, not even. Just just over two. <gasps> Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. That was the Absolute Worldie Football Podcast by Kyle Ross and Joel Samuels with theme music by Adam Janosz-Bazowski and Amma Chada Patel. Absolute Worldie is dedicated to the memory of Liam Seeker. Please do remember to like, share, subscribe, follow us at Worldie Podcast on Twitter, Absolute Worldie Football Podcast on Instagram, and drop us a line anytime at absoluteworldiepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye. I didn't put it in a good order. No, it was great. It was great. <laughs> put it in the it perfect great. order. That's what you want. That was our outtake. I didn't put it in I a good order. I didn't put it in a good order. Kick.